You ready to study God's Word? All right, get your Bibles ready. But uh, for the last several weeks, we've been, uh, we started off in the very first Sunday of June from the book of James that challenges us to not only be hearers of the Word, but to be what? To be doers, to be practiced, put it into practice. And our theme for this series has been what? Application is everything. It all hinges on application. Uh, believing is good. Uh, having good intentions is just fine. But doing it and putting the Word of God into practice in our life is what really makes the difference. And so we've been kind of in this series called Applications for Crash for practical Christian living, and so we reverted to the book of Hebrews, where we find that 14 different times in the book of Hebrews, we have that essential phrase, let us, and it's followed by some admonition or exhortation. We obviously haven't had time in June to cover all of those, but we have looked at several. We found a couple of weeks ago, the scripture told us in Hebrews chapter 10, that we ought to, that let us find ways to stimulate and stir one another up for love and good works. Let us encourage one another. And let's make sure that we don't forget the habit of assembling and gathering together. We entitled it living in community, right? And then last Sunday from Hebrews chapter four, we found out that the Bible challenged us to let us learn to come before his throne of grace with confidence and boldness. Let us approach his throne in a certain way, and the result is what? We receive mercy and grace. So that's another great application, isn't it? So today, we're going to look at uh, several scriptures, but we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 5. And so today, we're going to talk about growing up. Growing up. Everybody think we might need that? God wants us to do what? To grow up. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 5. If you have your Bibles and on your devices or in whatever format you may have it, please turn to this passage now. And uh, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 5. It is going to be on the screen also for your convenience. And we're going to read beginning in chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to go through chapter 6, verse 1. Don't get nervous. Some of you get really nervous once we cross over chapter divisions. You know, you go, oh, just so you remember, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but chapter divisions are not, and they're there for just your convenience. All right, so it's just fine. Just relax. All right, here we go. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. The Hebrew writer says this: We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Oh, that's a, that's a firm rebuke right there, isn't it? You're no longer trying to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Pause briefly there. The phrase there, when it talks about the elementary truths of God's Word... We'll see it repeated again in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Is speaking literally of like the ABCs of the faith. The very beginning building blocks of the faith in Jesus. So that's what he's talking about. And in verse 12, he's basically saying, listen, he's not trying to say that every one of us are called to be gifted teachers. What he is saying is, by this point, we ought to be helping someone else to be established and grow in those things. So we need to become discipled, but then we need to also become disciplers and so that we're training and helping others to grow. And he goes on, if you will, in the next verse, verse 13 says, anyone who lives on milk 
being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness or right living. But solid food is for the mature. For who? For the mature. Who by constant use, this is a powerful verse, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. How many of you know people who can't tell the difference between something that's right and wrong? Can't discern between good and evil? Partly because they're not mature enough yet to do that. Now let's go on to chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Another translation says, let us move forward into maturity. So here we see the let us from Hebrews has to do with what? Maturing. Or spiritual growth going on in our walk with Christ. Now let me introduce you to a couple of other supplementary scriptures that will also provide some corollaries for us today. Uh, These are taken from two uh, not so uh, commonly used translations, but I like the way they're phrased, so that's why I included them here for you. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, taken from the message, says that God wants us to grow up. Everybody say, grow up. To know the whole truth and to tell it in love like Christ in everything. Back up to the previous verse in the J.B. Phillips translation, it says this. We are not meant to remain as children. Now, here's the reality, folks, before we turn to one more scripture to help us with our foundation. God's goal for you and for me is to mature. God's goal is for us to develop the full characteristics of Jesus Christ, living a life of love and humble service. But sadly, the reality is millions of Christians are growing older, but not more mature. They're growing physically. They're growing in terms of the amount of time since they've been a believer, but there is not commensurate parallel, proportionate growth on a spiritual level. In fact, I know many who are stuck in perpetual infancy. Stuck where they're at. Not continuing to grow, but remaining in their spiritual diapers and booties and bottles. Because they are just spiritual infants. And that is what the writer of Hebrew is trying to address. He's saying, folks, it's time to go on from the basics. You've been circling around the basics all these years. By now, you should have even been teaching, mentoring, and discipling others. It's time to grow up. So uh, let's go to one other scripture that I think will really help us to understand this. And you'll notice some of the same language here that the Hebrew writer used. Paul speaks to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he said this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, 
for until now you've not been able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. Why? Because you are still carnal. That's pretty strong, isn't it? So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you know, I've got some pretty heavy stuff to share with you. I've got some really good, deep teaching, some great information that would just, just blow your mind, blow your socks off. But you can't handle it. Why? Because you are still carnal Christians. You're carnal and you're not spiritually mature enough to deal with it. He introduces the idea here that there are those who can handle only the milk of the word. And he says, but there are also those of you who are able to handle the meat of the word. Notice, by the way, that milk and meat are both the word of God. All right. It's just different levels of teaching and revelation from God's word. Milk and meat, both from God's word, but they're for different levels of maturity. Now, I thought it might be helpful just to share with you this insight since we're speaking here from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 briefly. Did you know that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 actually gives us a framework for understanding all humanity? A lot of people don't realize this. You can actually take all of humanity and put it in one of three categories. First of all, he addresses the natural man. So natural people. What are natural people? It speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 about people who are natural. He's speaking of people who don't have a relationship with Christ. These are pre-Christians or, or unbelievers or non-Christians. These are people who are alive physically, psychologically, but dead spiritually. They are natural men. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, they're unable to discern spiritual things. They just don't get it. You can talk spiritual language, but there's not a connection point. Because why? They're just, they're, they're not born again. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. They are natural people. God loves them, but they don't perceive or understand spiritual things. So there are many, as we know, that fit in that category, right? But then there are two more categories. Second category and the third category are Christian categories. The second category are carnal people. Now, these are Christians, believers, born again, have their eternal fire insurance policy paid up. You're going to be with them in heaven. But they are living today, they are living as carnal Christians, meaning that their flesh, their old nature, their own soulish appetites are in control of their being. You know, in Spanish, the word carne is a word for meat or for beef. A car, they are carnal. They are being controlled by their flesh. They're not being controlled by the spirit, or at least the majority of the time, they're not being controlled by the spirit. They're not spirit-controlled people, but they're fleshly, carnal Christians. Frankly, this group comprises the majority of those that call themselves Christians in our country. They would be honestly, simply carnal Christians. Carnal Christians can only eat what? The, only the milk of the word. You cannot feed a carnal Christian uh, heavy meat. They can, simply can't digest it. They can't handle it. You wouldn't take your two-year-old and, and, and present a ribeye steak to them, would you? No, you need to make sure that they have the right kind of food that is related to the age that they are and what they can handle and what they can digest. So the Apostle Paul addresses the carnal man... And 
passage that we read from chapter 3. And then also in chapter 2, he also speaks of the spiritual man. The spiritual man is a spirit-controlled, mature Christian, not perfect by any means, but has moved from that point of spiritual childhood infancy into a place of spiritual adolescence or spiritual adulthood where there is a level of maturity where they can handle the more comprehensive, the deeper, more uh, uh, significant things of truth from God and the ways of God. They are spiritual. They're able to proceed in the spiritual realm. That is the spiritual man. So many times, I think this is just a helpful framework for understanding people, all right? Not to be judgmental, but just to understand people. And by the way, I'll just ask you, what category are you in? Just a helpful question, right? So what category am I in? And, and, and the good news is that you can, uh, if you're in category one or two, you can change it. So if you're in category one, you're just a natural man, never become a spiritual person, never been born again, never had a relationship with Christ, we can help you do that today. Today. Number two, if you're a carnal person, you need to grow up. And I'm getting ready to give you some helpful hints on how you can do that, all right? If you are already a spiritually mature person, you can continue to grow. Because we're all growing, amen? Anybody here already arrived? Anybody here already perfect? Yeah. If, if you think you are, you just lied and you're not perfect, all right? So, we, so that took care of that. All right, here we go. All right, so now what I want to offer to you today are some, some laws of spiritual growth that I think will help us to ground our understanding in what, what the Hebrew writer is saying and let us move on to maturity. Let us grow up. That's the charge that we've read from uh, both Paul as well as the Hebrew writer. So how do we understand spiritual growth? What are the laws that govern spiritual growth? And how can we apply it to our own lives? All right, number one, number one, very basic. We grow to become like Jesus. The whole purpose and mission and objective and goal of spiritual development and growth is to become like Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8 and verse 29, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. God chose us in his all-knowingness. He knew that you're going to make a choice for Jesus, but he purposed and has planned not only that you would just be born again, not only that you would just be a heavenly citizen, but that your life would change here on earth and that you would become like Jesus Christ. He is our model. He is our example. And when Jesus came to this earth, he not only came to die on a cross to redeem us from our sins, but he began to show us how to live as an example that we would follow. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we would, everybody, if you're being honest, all of us would agree we all have a ways to go, right? Because we're not all thinking just like Jesus thinks, right? I mean, I mean, we see examples of that in the Gospels where Jesus rebuked Peter because his thinking wasn't right yet. He even said, get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he was saying Satan is influencing the way you think. So we need to renew our minds more, right? To be more like Jesus. Our behavior needs to change. How we represent Jesus in our life needs to improve. The way we talk. Would you say that your words and all the words that come out of your mouth represent Jesus? No. 
Would you agree with me that even some of our attitudes need to be changed at times, right? And so there's a lot about our lives. We need to love more like Jesus. We need to experience more of the joy of the Lord like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. But that is the object of spiritual growth. He saves us not only so we can go to heaven, but so that he can allow you to enjoy, participate in the abundant life of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And he has a job for you to do. He's got things for us to do right here on this planet that is lost, undone, helpless, without the gospel, without Jesus. Folks, we got work to do. And some people who get stuck in their spiritual immaturity, I don't understand Because it's like, well, if you're just going to get saved, be born again, and stop right there and never grow past that, why don't we just change the way we do water baptism? I've got an idea. Why don't we just baptize people? We believe in immersion here. Why don't we just baptize people but leave them under the water for about five or six minutes? If we did that, boom, we just speed up the process, take you right to heaven. You don't have to worry about any of the rest of it. Huh? Well, of course, that's a stupid idea, right? We wouldn't do that. But we might as well if we're not going to grow up. So, number one, we grow to do what? To become like Jesus. The goal of our growth is to be transformed and conformed to his image. Amen? Second law of spiritual growth. Number two, we grow when we commit to grow. We grow only when we commit to grow. Decisions to grow up have to be made. Spiritual growth, unlike many people's thinking, it is not automatic. Just this, a lot of people think, well, the moment that I come to Christ, then the rest of it is just going to take care of itself, or God's just going to do it all, and I'm just going to grow. But decisions have to be made. Growth is not automatic. It takes an intentional commitment. An intentional commitment. You must want to grow. You must decide to grow. You must make an effort to grow. And you must persist in growing up in Christ. Amen? See, discipleship is the process of becoming like Jesus. And it always begins and it continues with the decision. When you came to Christ, when you chose Jesus Christ, it started how? With a decision. You were at whatever point that you were in your life. If you're a believer here, at some point in your history, you came to a point of saying, I decide for Jesus Christ. You do not slip into being a believer. And you don't slide into Christianity simply on the coattails of your parents. Everybody has to make an adult-sized decision at some point in their life if they're going to follow Jesus or not. You make that decision. We see this exemplified in Matthew 9.9 as we look at the example of some of the disciples that were called for in this case of Matthew, which says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew who was sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So get the picture. Jesus says, follow me, and then it's up to who? It's up to Matthew, right? And he rose and followed him. The point being what? He made a decision. He decided to respond to the invitation of Jesus. Listen, the invitation for people to receive new life in Christ 
is, should be and is being broadcast at large. But not everybody is making the decision to accept Jesus. In the same way, we have to make intentional commitments to go on in our spiritual growth. Some Christians are stuck in their spiritual growth because they have simply never activated their decision to go on and to grow more. Even as we just saw in the passage, when the first disciples chose to follow Jesus, I'm convinced they didn't know the full implications of the decision. I I really don't think they knew everything that was going to be involved. They simply responded to Jesus' invitation. In fact, many of them became martyrs for Christ. Do you think they understood martyrdom when they, when they said, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus? No. But as they continued to grow, their, obviously their commitment to him continued to increase. In order to get started in your Christian walk, it begins with a decision. In order for you to move on in your Christian walk, it continues to require commitments. Listen, nothing shapes your life more than the commitments you make. Nothing. Your commitments can develop you or they can destroy you. But either way, they will shape and define you. For example, I could ask you, tell me right now something that you're totally committed to. You can say, I'm so, I am totally committed to this. Whatever that is, I can tell you in 15 to 20 years what your life be like because it's directly related to what you're committed to we become whatever we're committed to so if you say i'm a student of uh whatever it is uh you're really committed to it then then your life's going to be different now you know i have grandchildren who have decided they want to learn the violin First, it was a violin. Then it was learning Japanese. Then it was learning Spanish. So it, it, things have changed a whole lot. But the problem isn't that those are bad desires, but it's that they're too young to be totally committed to some of those things yet. And so moms and dads have had to say, if you're going to play this game, you're going to have to play the whole season. You can't play, and then all of a sudden, when it's a little too hot one day during practice, I don't feel led anymore to play soccer anymore. I don't feel led to play that game anymore. It all gets back to what? Are we committed or not? We have to raise up kids that learn what commitment's all about. Can I hear an amen from parents? Amen. So it's the same thing with spiritual growth. It's all about commitment. If you want to be free, for example, free from something that's, that's held you in bondage, Part of it is you have to make an intentional decision. Now, there may be other things that need to come into your life. God may need to work some deliverance in your life, some freedom in your life, and, 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 and get some help in other ways. But intentionally committing to something is very, very key. Not half-hearted, but a total commitment to growing up in Christ. Someone once said it this way. They said, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make you a great Christian. I thought that's really true. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make you a great Christian. I really find that it's true. All right, so this is the second law of spiritual growth. We grow when we commit to grow. Number three, we grow when we partner with the Holy Spirit. We grow when we partner with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is good news because a lot of people think, 
oh, oh man, I gotta grow. This is all, it's all on me, and I'm struggling to try to figure out. No, 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 there's good news. This is a collaborative process. It is a process, by the way. It's gradual. It's not overnight. It's not instantaneous. It is a process. Turn to your husband and wife and say, I know it's a process. I know it's a process, right? But the good news is it is a collaborative process because Holy Spirit is engaged in the process with you. With you. Let me prove it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Look at this. Continue to work out your salvation. Everybody say work out. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, excuse me, for it is God who works in you. Everybody say works in. To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now who is Philippians chapter 2 written to? Christians or non-Christians? It's written to the church. It's written to Christians. So get the picture again. He's not telling you here how to be saved. He's not telling you how we uh, find ourselves as the beneficiaries of full salvation. Instead, this verse explains to us the two parts of spiritual growth. I call it the work out and work in process. It is the partnership between you and God. You see, the work out part the work out part is your job. Yes, yes. The work in part is God's job. Isn't this a nice balance? The work out, that's our job. How many of you found out if you really want to get in shape you want to, and, and, and you want to lose weight and you want to feel better, you have to do a little working out? Come on, someone's got to say amen to that, all right? I know we may not be doing it, but we understand that that exercise is important, right? So there is a workout benefit. Would you agree? It's the same thing as a Christian in the Christian life. It's not saying to us that we work for our salvation. It doesn't say that we work to be saved because we're saved by what? We're saved by grace. We're not saved because of our good works. You can work, 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 and still go to hell. We're saved by grace. We don't deserve it, but we're saved by grace. But once we're saved, this salvation is speaking about is your day-to-day discipleship growing maturity process. How do we grow? We have to work out that which has begun in our inner man, that which has begun by the Holy Spirit. We have to work to cooperate with him in order for Jesus to become the Lord of more and more of our life. The renewing of our mind, the channeling of our emotions, yielding our will to him where it's not my will, but it's yours, right? All of that is a part of working out work that's our job. But spiritual growth, as I said, is a collaborative effort between you and the Holy Spirit. What is God's job? Notice what the scripture says, that he is at work where? In us. See, who works in you? To will and to do, or to will in this translation, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now look what it says. This is beautiful. This is the Holy Spirit's job. He's in me. When I invite Christ into my life, he comes to take up residence on the inside of me. Amen? So Christ is in me, but some people think he's just passive. He's not passive. He's active. 
And all he needs is your part to be done, your cooperation. If you'll do your part to do a little work it out, he'll do his job to do a little work it in. And notice what it says he will do. He puts in you both the desire and the dynamic. The will. How many of you said before, I just, I just don't. I just don't know if I have enough want to. I don't have enough desire. God will help you in that because his desire, Holy Spirit's desire, pleases the Father. Holy Spirit's desire always lines up with God's will and purpose for your life. And so the Holy Spirit's there to bubble up and to cause to well up on the inside of you godly desires. Now, yes, you have carnal desires. Your part is to what? To say no to the carnal worldly desires and to say yes to Holy Spirit's desire. Are y'all getting it? So the Holy Spirit gives you not only the will, but also the ability, the dynamic that works it out in your life. I don't know about you. I think we have a pretty good deal in this, don't you think? We come out on the better end of this kind of collaborative effort. I mean, we have a part. Holy Spirit has a part. But I think it's a grand plan that God has designed in order that we can mature and grow up in Christ. Our responsibility and God's responsibility. We grow when we partner with Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's look at the next one. Number four. Number four. We grow when we feed on God's Word. <clears throat> when we feed on what? God's Word. Dogs eat dog food. Cats eat cat food. I know this is deep. Turtles eat turtle food. Christians eat the word of God. That's believer's food. Jesus tells us, quoting what we know is in the Old Testament, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, and this New Living Translation says, people need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. The other translation many times we quote is, man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. In other words, we uh, can't exist on just physical food. Physical food will keep us fat and carnal. But spiritual food will make us spiritually mature and strong. Yes, there is a time for the milk of the word. That's important. We, we all have, have to have the season where we're on the milk of the word. But there comes a time to graduate. And some of us are still on the milk when we ought to be now, by reason of time, we ought to be in the meat. Are you all with me? See, having babies is wonderful. Having grandbabies is even more wonderful. Can I just tell you what it's like to be a grandparent? I know some of you just found out you're getting ready to be a grandparent. Grandparenting is so good, I think we should skip parenting altogether <laughs> and go right into the grandparenting part because it's that good. Right. That's just my recommendation. When you have a little baby, when you have an infant, when you have a new child, it's wonderful because they can just make all the noises. They can make all the messes. They can, they can create all this. They can throw food around when they're 18 months and you think it's oh, that's so cute. But when they're 9 and 10, it is not cute anymore. Can I hear an amen? 
Now we have to get it straightened down. We got to talk to it. We got to discipline. We said, no, there's not going to be any more throwing food around this house. Right? Am I right? And there's, and, well, we won't go into all the other details that need to be cleaned up. But you understand my point. It's one thing to be a baby. It's another thing that when it's time to grow up, we need to be growing up. Amen? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us that just like babies, we ought to have this craving, like a newly born baby. We ought to have this craving for God's word. I know some of you have cravings because you've confessed it to me. I know. We all sometimes. Some of you, how many of you would admit that sometimes you have a chocolate craving? Raise your hand. Confess your sins. All right. How many of you would admit sometimes you have an ice cream craving? You just got to have a little ice cream, right? Sometimes we have cravings. How about we do this? Can you imagine what it would be like to one day all of a sudden you say, Honey, I I just, I have this craving. I'm sorry. I, I've just, I've got to go read another chapter from God's Word. I crave it. I hunger it. I get strong by it. I live by it. And if you're depending on doing without God's Word six days a week, coming to church on Sunday as much as we appreciate that and hooking yourself up to some spiritual IV and getting a download of God's Word on Sunday morning thinking that that's going to be enough for you to make it, you're deceived. That ain't enough. You're going to be stuck. And we don't want to be stuck. We want to grow up. Amen? So the point is what? Learn to feed on God's Word. All right, last spiritual law. Ready for this? Number five. We grow when we are in community. We grow when we are in community. It has been proven that as a Christian, if you're going to grow and mature in Christ, you're not, you're not going to be able to do it in isolation from other Christians. We are designed by God to live and grow in the context of Christian community. And yet many Christians don't practice that. Let me just offer to you uh, some, uh, some interesting quotations that I thought might encourage you. Um, the uh, wonderful uh, quote by Eugene uh, Peterson, who, of course, is responsible for the paraphrase uh, called The Message, which many of you have read, says this, Our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can, do, we can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It is a part of the fabric of redemption. We know the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, the early church did what? They devoted themselves. They were committed, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to fellowship. That means togetherness, time together, doing life together, fellowship into the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, I didn't put this on the screen, but there's a great quote from one of our early church fathers, uh, St. John of the Cross, and he said this, The soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. And that is true. And one more quote that will bless you from Paul Turnier, wonderful uh, author, says this. He said, There are two things We're going to stop right at the end. Can you all help me back there, uh, Garrison? Advance me, please. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Paul Turnier said this. There are two things you can't do alone. One is to be married. 
and the others to be a Christian. Can't be married alone. <coughs> Takes two to tango. To be a good, growing, maturing Christian, you cannot do it alone. Let me wrap up with this illustration. Probably when you were, I don't know, preschool, kindergarten, some teacher in some place gave you the project, gave you a little styrofoam cup, took a little seed, maybe it was a, a bean or some other kind of seed, put it in, y'all took that little styrofoam cup and you put soil in there and then you took that seed and carefully planted it down in that soil and they said, now you have to make sure that you water that. Maybe you did it in the class. Maybe you took home and did it. And you got to water it regularly. And then you also have to expose it to sunlight, yeah, right? Yeah. So for the plant to grow, you learned the essentials, the absolute requirements and prerequisites for the growth of that seed. Had to be planted in the right fertile soil. Had to have sunlight. Had to have moisture. May I suggest to you there's a great parallel to you as a Christian. And regardless of where we're at in our own development. One, we have to be planted in the soil of God's word. The nutrients and the benefits of that fertile soil of God's word. Number two, we have to be exposed to the moisture and the rain of the Holy Spirit. He's the rain, the dew, the moisture that lubricates, that gives us what we need in our spiritual growth. And then thirdly is the sunlight, and that represents the light of warm fellowship. And you put your life or the life of a new believer, a new Christian, you put it in the right soil, you give it the right amount of sunlight, you give it the right amount of moisture, and what's guaranteed? It's going to grow. And if you want to grow as a Christian, if you're going to continue to press on past the elementary stuff and on into more continued walk and advancements in Christ, you've got to make sure those essentials are present. Would you stand with me today? I ask that you bow your heads just for a moment so that you can reflect and have your mind on what I'm going to ask you. I want to ask you an important, deliberate question having to do with your spiritual development. Where are you at? Are you growing up? Or are you? do you feel that the Holy Spirit has even convicted you and convinced you today that maybe what's going on in your spiritual life right now, you're not growing like you should. You realize that your growth patterns are not where they need to be. Various reasons, but for whatever the reason is, there's some sense in which you're kind of circling or stuck or not moving ahead like you should be. And today, you'd like me to pray with you and just to agree that God's going to help you, give you the grace and the strength and encouragement to help you make a decision today to really stir this growth process up. Would you just raise your hand? Not make a spectacle of it, just to admit between you and God. Say, Lord, you know, I'm not growing like I need to be, but I want to. I'm making a decision today to get on a growth track. You just put your hands back down as soon as you raise them up. Anyone else? God's showing me. He's convicting me. Yes. 
Yes, yes. Hands all over. I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward. I'm going to pray for you all right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you bless us in so many ways. Today I'm praying for those in particular who acknowledge that they're not satisfied with where they're at in their growth. And they need to uh, up their game. They need to do a little bit more cooperating with Holy Spirit. They need to be more intentional. And I'm praying with them right now that they would make a decision right now. And that they would continue to make it daily. That they're going to press on and go beyond the basics and the ABCs to be the kind of mature believer that can live on the solid meat of your word. And I pray that you'd strengthen their resolve today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, we have prayer teams that are positioned here at the front of the room today because we recognize that there are needs that you may have in your life, spiritual needs, emotional needs, relationship issues, needs for guidance, uh, financial situation, whatever it is. You know what? God's got an answer for everything. I said God's got an answer for everything. So they're here because they're trained to agree with you in prayer. And I want to invite you as soon as we close here, you just come right on up, find one of these couples that's available and ask them to pray with you about whatever need it may be that you have. Denise is coming. She's going to speak a blessing over you for this week and then you'll be dismissed. Bless you. I just want to bless you with spiritual hunger this week. Bless you with desire to know him more. I bless your ears to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling your name, calling you into his presence. I bless you with grace in your schedule to set aside time with the Lord and that it would be the priority of your life. And I bless you with a steadfastness to just keep your commitments to him and that they would be a priority for you. I bless you with the joy of the Lord as it's your strength as you go from here and the peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name.